the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, God begins to raise up and use Samuel in the ministry. We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 35. Once again that's 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 35. First Samuel deals with lessons that we can learn from the heart. And we saw the contrast between Eli's sons, who refused to listen to correction, and Samuel, who happily allowed the Lord to shape his life. Today, we're going to see that trend continue. As God is juxtaposing Samuel and Eli and his family side by side, we're going to learn another important reason Samuel was blessed. He had a heart that was happy to serve. Verse 35, And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left in your house, any remaining descendants, they will come and crouch to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread, and shall say, put me, I pray you, into one of the priest's offices, that I may eat a piece of bread. Now, The word here for faithful priest here, it means one who would honor God first, one who is trustworthy and loyal. I will raise up to me a priest who will make me the priority, who will honor me first, that will do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind. That's a pretty cool thing. What is in God's heart? What is in God's mind? And how do we find that out? Look at Isaiah 55 with me. There's a cool section of scripture here. Isaiah 55, verse 6, beginning there, it says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call you upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. And the Lord will have mercy upon him, to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. That's why they need to get rid of their thoughts. Because his thoughts are not our thoughts. God's thoughts are not my thoughts. The way I naturally would look at dealing with a situation, not the way God thinks about it. The path I would normally take in a situation, my natural normal path, not the path that's been trained by the word of God, but the path that I, William Ramirez, just in my way of doing things, the way I would normally take, nothing at all like the way God would do it. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are our ways higher than your ways. My thoughts are your thoughts. You're not even close, Will. Verse 10, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and it doesn't return back, 
that waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my what? My word be that which goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. So if I want to know God's mind and God's heart, where do I go? I go to his word, right? What is God's heart towards something? What is God's mind towards something? What does he think about something? How would he do it? I go to the scripture. Like the concept of being like Jesus or doing what Jesus did isn't me sitting around going, I wonder what Jesus would do. I'm not trying to be mean, but this idea of like the what would Jesus do thing was really big a while ago. But I think it misses the boat a little bit. I think the heart's great behind it, but I think it misses the boat a little bit because I don't need to kind of sit there and just go, hmm, what would Jesus do? I need to just go to the word and go, what did Jesus do? What did he say? What has he taught me about how to think about it? What his heart is, how he feels about things, what he thinks about things, what he would do about things, what he did do about things. I can see all those things in his word and I can be like this faithful priest who would, do according to that which is in God's heart and in God's mind. And because of this priest's faithfulness, he says, I will build him a sure house. It means a lasting and enduring house. And he will walk before my anointed, my king forever. Now, when we try to figure out, well, who is this faithful priest? I mean, Samuel certainly was loyal to God, right? I mean, he put God first, right? Zadok, the one who replaced Abiathar in 1 Kings chapter 2, he stuck by David during the difficult times and he rejoiced to see the restoration of Israel's walk with the Lord. So he served with the king. But neither Samuel nor Zadok fulfilled this entire prophecy because they did not have lasting and enduring houses. Samuel's sons did not follow in Samuel's footsteps and they didn't become priests after him. And Zadok's line, if it can be traced still, hasn't served in the role of a priest for millennia. Now, God's anointed in this context of 1 Samuel was David, who is the one who will rule over Israel in the Messianic kingdom. And who will be the high priest at that time? Jesus. He's our great high priest, right? He is our great high priest. So this is a messianic prophecy of how the Messiah will also be a high priest and his house will endure forever, ever. And under the Messiah, Eli's descendants will finally realize the privileges that they had as priests. For verse 36 says, it will come to pass that everyone that is left in your house, any leftover descendants of Eli, when Jesus is ruling and reigning, when Jesus is our great high priest on the earth, it says that every one of them, they will come and crouch before him. The phrase means to bow down in respect, to honor, to worship him. These will be true believers that go into the millennium. They will come and worship before him and they will do it because they'll be longing for, I'll take even the smallest salary, just a piece of silver. I don't need all the offerings that God promised, just a morsel of bread. And they will say, I just want to serve again. I just want to be back in God's presence again. I just want to be reinstated. That's all they care about. Just to eat a piece of bread. I don't need everything else. Eli's surviving descendants in the Messianic kingdom will see the privilege and blessing that Eli and his sons had. They'll ask to be reinstated. And it's not so they can gorge themselves upon the benefits of being a priest. They won't ask for more than a piece of bread. They'll just be so blessed to serve the Lord once more. And guys, that's the heart of service God wants us to have. 
I'm nobody special. I mean, I'm special because I belong to Jesus. But I don't have it all figured out. But let me share a little story with you. When I came down here and I applied for the position here and I was interviewed, and when I knew it was getting close to a conclusion that they might pick me, I asked a lot of questions. But there was one question I did not ask. What's the salary? I didn't know what I was getting paid until I took the job. I didn't know what it might be. It might have been nothing. I might have still been working at Evans High School. I was okay with that, though. It didn't, none of that mattered to me because I believe God had called me to do this. Now, I was happy when I found out I had a salary. But to this day, if all of that was taken away, I would still be here until either the Lord took me home or the Lord called me somewhere else. Because I'm here, not for a paycheck. I'm not here because y'all love me so much. I would say I'm so blessed to be your pastor. I am encouraged all the time. I have a great congregation. You guys are awesome. You put up with me. That makes you like A grade to begin with. But I mean, I am so blessed. Like I hear some of the horror stories other pastors go through and I'm just like, I haven't gone through any of that. I'm just so blessed. Both churches I pastored have just been so supported and so encouraged and so blessed. And I, I just love it. But if none of that was there, I would still forge ahead because God has called me to this. I am blessed to serve him. I'm privileged that he would put me here. He doesn't owe me anything. I'm like David, I'd, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than anywhere else. That Jesus just let me clean chairs and that's more than I deserve. And so I have so much more to learn and so many more things to grow in. But I do believe I understand God's call and the privilege it is. I want to have a heart of service. I don't want to be like Eli and his sons. I want to be like this faithful priest, Samuel and Zadok, and of course, the Lord. Now, there was a heart that did exist in the tabernacle like this, a heart of service during Eli's oversight, and it was in Samuel. So let's look at chapter three. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. I love it here where it says the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord. It means he served or waited on the Lord. Now, Samuel saw it as a privilege, not a job. He thought, how awesome, I get to wait on the Lord. I get to serve the Lord. And this attitude is echoed in David, the king who wished he was a priest when he said those words, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than anywhere else. We see the same mindset from the leaders at the church of Antioch in Acts chapter 13, where it says, and as they ministered to the Lord, not for the Lord, but to the Lord. I'm keenly aware that anytime I'm serving someone, that I'm really serving the Lord. Yes, I'm serving them, but I'm serving the Lord. I'm blessing his heart when I'm loving somebody or I'm being kind to somebody. And so that's the question I would ask you. Do you minister to the Lord or just for the Lord? You can do both. I want to minister to the Lord. So how do I do that, Will? Well, it's easy to minister to people who pat you on the back or who they receive what you have to say or they are nice to you when you're trying to be patient with them or explain something to them or whatever. It's, that's easy. When you're ministering to the Lord, it's 
when you're being kind to those who aren't kind to you, because that blesses his heart. When you're showing mercy towards others, that blesses his heart, because that's how he is. When you're expressing gratitude toward him for the opportunity to serve, that blesses the Lord. When you're doing it out of obedience because you just love him, that blesses the Lord. Is that your mindset when you serve? Well, it says the word of the Lord was precious in those days. This means not the Bible, but the act of speaking on behalf of God, the message, like a specific message from God. In other words, there was no teaching going on at the time. There was no prophecy, no gift of prophecy in operation. None of these things were going on. It was precious, which means it was very rare. It says there was no open vision in that day, which means there was no widespread revelation. I mean, could you imagine showing up to church and you learn nothing? You receive no comfort. You aren't challenged to grow at all. And you aren't strengthened spiritually. How awful would that be? Well, just as God told Eli, Israel went downhill spiritually right before his eyes. None of these things were going on. And so verse 2, it says, And it came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place at his home, and his eyes began to wax dim. He was getting older. So now between chapter 2 and 3, many years have passed. Samuel is probably a young man at this point. It came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, and his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And before the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, that the Lord called to Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. Now, the lamps of the golden menorah, they were filled with olive oil, and they were lit at twilight. And so they remained on all through the night. So this event in Samuel's life occurs sometime overnight. And when Samuel hears the Lord's voice, he says, Here am I. Now, I love that because Samuel doesn't think it's the Lord. He thinks it's Eli. But I love this because Samuel's already in bed. He's already had a long day of work. He's likely quite exhausted. But his first response is, I'm ready to serve. Here am I. Now, because God speaking to people was so rare in those days, Samuel didn't know how it worked. Never seen it before. Thus, he assumed Eli called his name, verse 5. And so he ran unto Eli. Again, I love this too. He's in bed. When one of the kids comes in and I'm in bed already, and they're like, Dad, there's a roach, you know, in the room. I'm not running to their room. I'm, you know, I'm dragging my feet all the way, finding the right shoe I can smash it with, and then grumbling as I go down the hall and then see the thing and smash it into oblivion because I got woken up. All my wrath is poured out upon that sleep-rejecting roach. And then I slog my way back into bed. Samuel ran. He's not dragging his feet. He's happy to serve. I want to be more like Samuel. And here's the crazy part. Samuel served the Lord with a true heart, despite never receiving the benefits of a close relationship with the Lord. He had never heard God's voice. He'd never knowingly experienced God's presence. The closeness that comes from God's encouragement or comfort from his word, he'd never experienced that before. And yet, he's running to go serve. What if God never let you feel the closeness of his presence? Or what if you never heard his voice? Would you still serve the Lord as enthusiastically as Samuel did? Well, he ran unto Eli and he said, Here am I, for you called me. And Eli said, I called you not. Go back to bed. So he went and he laid down, and the Lord called yet again. 
Samuel, and Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for you did call me. And he answered, I called you not, my son. Go back to bed. Verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. That's what I was just explaining to you. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he rose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for he did call me. And Eli, now he finally gets a clue. He perceived that the Lord had called the child. He realized God was involved here. Now how sad that the high priest didn't even have practice recognizing God's voice. And so he said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he call you, that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Verse 10. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. He got a little nervous, left out, Speak, my Lord. He left out the my Lord part. Speak, for your servant hears. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel at the which both the ears of everyone that hears it shall tingle. Now, I love that it mentions here that the Lord came and stood by him because Samuel makes no mention of seeing the Lord. Doesn't make any mention of seeing the Lord here. Isn't it good to know the Lord is close to us even when we can't see him? Sometimes I just close my eyes and I think, Lord, I cannot see you. I wish I could see you right now. But by faith, I know you're near to me. I know it because that's who you are. The Lord tells him, he says, I need you to pay attention. He says, behold, I will do a thing in Israel. Literally, it means I'm going to cause an event to happen in Israel. At which, at the event, both the ears, so both right and left ear, they will tingle of everyone that hears it. The word there means to ring, like after you've been struck with a stunning blow. Everyone is going to be shell-shocked, stunned, by what I'm going to do. Why? Verse 12. For in that day, when this event happens, I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his family, his house. And when I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons have made themselves vile and he has not restrained them. And therefore I've sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. A message from the Lord. Good night, Samuel. That's it. Now, stuff we already know here that he's telling Samuel what he's going to do to the house and family of Eli. But he mentions a few different words here because his sons did make themselves vile. The word here means his sons have blasphemed. Now, blasphemy was a capital crime in Israel. And so since Eli wouldn't turn his sons over to the authorities, God would enact justice upon the entire family. Now we're seeing God's perspective. Eli tells his sons, you know, why are you doing this horrible thing? And the Lord's up there going, this is not a horrible thing. This is a capital crime. This is so evil. They are blaspheming, slandering me. The Lord explains that to Samuel. I think when people frequently come to me and they go, I just think God's kind of harsh, you know, hell and judgment, all that kind of stuff. And I, I have to explain it. And I say, I know it may seem that way to you, but it's because you don't understand how evil sin is. And if you think you do better than God, and therefore you are more righteous than God, then we have a whole different conversation we need to have. God is holy. He understands sin like none of us do. And therefore he's the only one who can make an accurate call on how it should be dealt with. Now, he says something very heavy to Samuel here. He says, I have sworn unto his family that the iniquity of his family shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering for 
forever. In other words, there is no sacrifice that could atone for their sin. What? I thought Jesus died for every sin. How could there never be a sacrifice that could atone for their sin? Jesus did die for every sin. But the means to enter into that forgiveness, the means to lay hold of that work Jesus did for us on the cross is faith. So if I refuse to repent and trust the Lord, then there is no mode, there's no means, there's no offering that can be given. There's no other way to forgiveness. Over and over and over again, Eli and his sons had refused to respond to the Lord's correction. And as we learned in a previous study, what God says they had done is they had committed the unpardonable sin. So how do you know that they'd done that, Will? Well, look at Eli's response, verse 15. And Samuel lay until the morning. Instead of telling Eli, I wouldn't have wanted to tell Eli either. And then he went and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He's figuring, I just need to get to work before Eli finds me. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision. I bet. I felt that way on some Sunday mornings when I was getting ready to preach. Verse 16. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, well, here I am. What you need me to do? He said to him, what is the thing that the Lord has said unto you? I pray you, do not hide it from me. And then he gives this threat. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto you. In other words, whatever judgment God's bringing that he told you about, I pray God adds more judgment to it for you if you keep anything from me. I can kind of see where Eli's sons learned to be bullies. And so Samuel told him every wit, didn't leave anything out, hid nothing from him. And look at Eli's response. He said, it is the Lord. I know it's true. Let him do what seems him good. Let him do what seems him good. The phrase there means let him do what pleases him. What pleases God? What he read what pleases God. What pleases God is that the wicked turn from his sins. Not just go bromping along like, oh well. Ezekiel chapter 18 again. At the very end of the chapter, God makes it clear what pleases him. In Ezekiel 18, verses 31 and 32, he says, Cast away from you all your transgressions, whereby you have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dies, says the Lord God. Wherefore, because I don't have any pleasure in that, turn yourselves and live. This is how I know that they had committed the unpardonable sin. He didn't care. He said, yeah, I know that's true. It's the Lord. Whatever. I'm just going to keep going on. What a sad response to the Lord. Eli had made his decision. There's no turning back. I'm not turning my sons in. How hard does your heart have to be to resign yourself to an eternity of damnation when you know it's coming and there's still time to avoid it? Pretty hard. Please, if you're resisting the Lord right now, don't keep resisting him. Don't let your heart be hardened like this. Now, Eli remained in his unbelief. Samuel continued to flourish in his relationship with the Lord. Look at verses 19 through 21. And Samuel grew. It means to become great, to attain high status. And the Lord was with him and did let none of his words fall to the ground. Samuel started this relationship with God. And then Samuel, God began to speak to Samuel. Samuel began to preach God's word. He began to teach God's word to the people who came to the tabernacle. And then even sometimes God gave him specific messages for people that came. And everything he predicted, said would happen, happened. 
And this only increased his fame even more. Verse 20, And all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. And so as a result, the word of the Lord was no longer sparse. But the Lord again appeared in Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Samuel's ministry was so clearly from God that everyone recognized his calling as a prophet, as God's spokesperson. And so as a result, God started speaking into people's lives again. Even if the culture around us, or even if the spiritual leaders around us don't have servants' hearts, it only takes one person with a servant's heart to start something special. One person. And can you imagine the impact that we could have if a bunch of us decide to have servants' hearts? I have a confession to make. I don't need to imagine it. I see it every week. Every week here at CCO. I see it in you guys. So let's cultivate even more of a heart like Samuel so that even more people can see Jesus in us. Amen? And so, Lord, our desire is to grow even more in our heart attitude, a servant's heart, Lord, to be like Samuel, to be like you. Who the Son of Man, you said, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Lord, we choose that life anew and afresh, and we do so with joy because of all you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.